Today on Blue 58, the Packers' offense is going to look different in 2023. I think everybody knows that. I think everybody understands that. But different doesn't necessarily mean bad. And I think there are a lot of interesting things the Packers are going to be able to throw at defenses this fall. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. And we've got punter talk to open up this episode today. Daniel Whelan joins the Packers this week, six foot five, 216 pounds out of UC Davis, originally from the Dublin, Ireland area. Pretty big leg on this guy. Comes to the Packers after spending a year in the XFL. According to Bill Huber at Sports Illustrated, he was pretty pretty successful in college too. Averaged an FCS leading 46.3 yards per punt, according to Mr. Huber's recent write-up. 20 kicks landed inside the 20 with only five touchbacks. Also had 21 punts of more than 50 yards. Big leg on this guy, bit of a different approach than uh, Pat O'Donnell, who's more of an accuracy-based punter, wants to land it inside the five if he can, and he did that pretty effectively last year. But the Packers generally have tried for one of these big legs types over those, the past few years. You've had J.K. Scott, you've had Corey Bajorquez, and now you've got Daniel Whelan, uh, who's a little bit more in the mold of those other guys, wants to just kick the ball hard, which I think is probably where the NFL is headed overall with their punting approach. But O'Donnell, great in 2022. I I don't think this is a competition, but I do think, and we should talk about this aside here for a second, I think it is noteworthy that the Packers have doubles at every special team's position. You've got Whelan and O'Donnell at punter. You've got 2023 draft pick Anders Carlson and Parker White at kicker. And a long snapper, you've had Matt, you have Matt Orzek and Broughton Hatcher. Are any of those positions a real competition? Probably not. Of the three, Carlson versus White at kicker is probably the closest thing to being a real showdown for a roster spot. What's more likely is the Packers are probably building a call sheet here for guys that they think they can trust should something happen to one of these other guys. A third potential option, maybe a combination between you know that second option and something else, is just having one of these guys in the practice squad. You've got 16 spots in the practice squad now. You might as well keep a spare specialist among those 16 guys. Three of these six guys for sure are not making the roster at least. If they get really wild and crazy and just say, we're going to take our chances on the waiver wire with a long snapper, for instance, we'll just hope for the best after training camp. We'll see who gets cut and we'll take one of those guys. Who knows? It could be more than that. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but at least three of these guys aren't making the roster. But one of the three who doesn't might end up on the practice squad. And if I had to guess, it would probably be one of the kickers more than any of those other positions. It wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility to carry a punter, uh, particularly a guy like Whelan who can who has some kickoff experience. Uh, if you're just looking for a big leg guy, guy if you need one, um, like the Packers did last year at times when they were a little bit concerned about uh, Mason Crosby's, you know, injury situation down the stretch in 2022. Uh, they had Ramiz Ahmed uh, available if um, if they they needed somebody to just kick off and that he got hurt the one time they were really going to have him do it. But maybe it gives you a little bit of flexibility keeping one of them on the practice squad. So you never know. Good names to keep in the back of your mind. Perhaps the most noteworthy fact in all this is that the Packers specialists might be their tallest position group on average. Five of these six guys are at least six foot four, the shortest one of the six guys that we just talked about. Whelan O'Donnell, Carlson, White, uh, 
Orzek and Hatcher. Orzek is the shortest guy at 6'3". Everyone else is 6'4 or taller. We got some tall kickers on the Packers this year and long snappers. Both Carlson and White, big tall kickers. Both Wheel and O'Donnell, big tall punters. Just an unusual fact for you to stow away. I want to talk about personnel today, specifically personnel groupings. I was rolling this around in my mind the other day, and I thought this would be an interesting thing to talk through. Because you can talk about how the Packers scheme may or may not be different, which is true. You can talk about how Jordan Love may or may not play this year. But I think one thing we can really nail down are some position groupings, some personnel groupings, really. Because right now we have a pretty good guess who the top-end guys are going to be at some key positions on offense. We know who the running backs are going to be. We know who the tight ends are going to be. We know who the receivers are probably going to be, even if things get a little bit murky. We've got a pretty good guess what the top end of the depth chart is going to look like, or we can at least assume some things. So that means if you're thinking about how the Packers can start building their offense, where you might want to start is just who's going to be on the field. And that's where I think things can get interesting for this Packers team this year, because just throwing different combinations of guys out there and seeing what works for one is just going to be something they'll have to do because so many of these guys are new, but for another might be something worth trying just because as much as these guys are unknown commodities for the Packers and their fans, they're also unknown commodities for everybody else facing them. And you can really catch people off guard by cycling through a bunch of different alignments and personnel groupings. Just try some different stuff and maybe outmaneuver people that way. So let's talk about what some of those personnel groupings could look like this year, starting with what will probably be the Packers' base personnel, 11 personnel, which, if you're not familiar, 11 personnel refers to running backs and tight ends that are on the field. One running back, one tight end gets you 11 personnel. Think of it this way. You need to add up to 11 people total. You have five offensive linemen. You've got a quarterback. The other five guys are going to make up your personnel package. So one running back, one tight end, three receivers, that's 11 personnel, and you can figure out the rest from there. 12, 21, 23, 13, 14, 10 personnel. Go nuts. Go crazy. So personnel groupings, starting with your 11 base personnel. If I had to guess right now, middle of May, your base personnel is probably going to be Aaron Jones at running back, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and Jaden Reed at receiver, and Luke Musgrave at tight end. Maybe it's Kraft, maybe it's not, but I think if they had their – just looking at draft order and who played last year, that's probably your starting offense right now. And looking at that grouping, what do you see? First and foremost, I see speed, and it's a big improvement on the speed over last year. You've got Romeo Dobbs out there taking reps rather than Alan Lazard, and for all of Lazard's you know great qualities, speed or maybe quickness, a combination of quickness and deep speed, was not really it. He could move plenty fast once he got up to speed, but that quick off-the-line speed was not necessarily it. I think Dobbs is an upgrade there. Jaden Reed, speed-wise, is certainly an upgrade over Randall Cobb. And Luke Musgrave, I don't think, is even a contest between him and Mercedes Lewis. Again, for all of Lewis's great qualities, speed was never really one of them at really any point in his career. He was a pretty good athlete 20 years ago, but even then, just blazing speed was not something he necessarily offered as a part of the, the the Mercedes Lewis experience there. A lot of great stuff, but Musgrave is is certainly faster than the version of Mercedes Lewis we had last year. So your base offense is going to be 
a lot faster. It also gives you a lot of versatility, I think. You can put Luke Musgrave on the line as your traditional wide tight end. You can split him out wide, have a quasi-four receiver look. You can move him around, have him in the slot, have him split out wide. There's a lot of different things you can do. But you can see also pretty quickly how we can start iterating. Let's stay in 11 personnel and swap in Tucker Craft for Luke Musgrave. you got a much more traditional wide tight end here. He can have his hand on the ground and attached to the formation. You can run power-based stuff without sacrificing all of the receiving stuff here too. Again, you have a lot of versatility. Let's stick in 11 personnel and swap A.J. Dillon in for Aaron Jones. Whether he's running behind Luke Musgrave or Tucker Craft, you've got a very solid power look here, and you're not really sacrificing all that much speed either. You get a lot of different versatility there. Let's flip over to 12 personnel. Now we've got two tight ends on the field. I think your base 12 personnel is going to be Aaron Jones, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Luke Musgrave, and you sprinkle in Tucker Craft there too. The versatility here, I think, is maybe not through the charts, but you've got a lot of interesting options as well. You can run things tight and have two tight ends right on the line, right by the offensive lineman. Tucker Craft as your Y, uh, Luke Musgrave as like an H-back, something like that. Or you can spread people out. Stick Tucker Craft close to the line and have Luke Musgrave as a big slot receiver. You're in quasi-11 personnel there. Or you can uh, flip-flop them, have Musgrave, or have Kraft go out wide and have Musgrave stay in, or split them both out wide, get really big in the slot on both sides of the formation. You can also run or pass from this formation here too, because you've got a lot of power and strength on the field, a lot of size. Uh, If nothing else for Luke Musgrave, you know, he may not have been the greatest college blocker, but he still is big. You can get in somebody's way if you're 6'6 and 250 pounds. You can figure out something you can do to slow somebody down as a run blocker, but you're also not sacrificing a lot of speed or receiving ability here either. Let's stick in 12 personnel and see what else we can do here. What if we swap Josiah DeGuara in for Luke Musgrave? Now you've really got a power look here. You can really run heavy stuff without sacrificing a lot of speed. It's still a little bit unclear what Josiah DeGuara is as a receiver, But boy, you can do some interesting stuff here. And what if you sprinkle in some A.J. Dillon with Aaron Jones, you know, coming out to the sideline as well? Or, you know, leave A.J. Dillon out there and move DeGuara into the backfield. Now you're running power with either Kraft or Musgrave on the line. And, well, then you've really got something with what the Packers were doing last year with their more power or gap-oriented runs while not sacrificing a lot of speed. Because remember, you still got Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs on the outside. Let's get really crazy. Let's sub Tyler Davis in for Luke Musgrave and have Davis and Kraft on the field at the same time. Now, now Davis hasn't really developed a whole bunch as a receiver, but he still is a big body, still a pretty good athlete, probably a better blocker than Musgrave. That's a lot of power to have on the field, basically running a double Y offense. Hey, you can live with that. 13 personnel. Let's throw three tight ends out there on the field at once probably looking at Aaron Jones, Christian Watson, and then Musgrave, Kraft, and DeGuara. Run power with three tight ends. Split Musgrave out, still have two tight ends on the line, and two giant receivers on the outside. See how a defensive back handles Luke Musgrave. Put Josiah DeGuara in the backfield and have two tight ends on the line. The possibilities are not endless, but they look pretty good no matter how you slice them. I think the thing that stands out to me is that the the young tight ends are going to give the Packers a lot of different versatile looks in whatever personnel package they're in. 
Let's do a couple more here. Let's try 21 personnel. Two backs, one tight end. Your two backs are going to be Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, most likely. Then your base is probably going to be Watson, Dobbs, and Musgrave beyond that. This is not all that different from your 11 personnel. Basically, you're swapping a receiver for Aaron Jones here. And this is something we saw from the Packers last year pretty frequently. With this iteration, you're probably a little bit more receiving-oriented than running-oriented, which I think is a good thing given how well the pony package worked there. And I'm kind of using using that a little bit sarcastically because the Packers really got, I think, too simple with the things that they were doing when they had Jones and Dylan in the backfield together. But there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do if you want to put Aaron Jones out wide as a receiver, along with guys like Musgrave and Watson and Dobbs. That's a pretty interesting three or four receiver package. And then you can do some interesting stuff with motion. What if you've got Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in the backfield to start? Suddenly Jones motions out. Then you've got, you know, Watson, Dobbs, and Jones out in the formation. Motion Luke Musgrave into the backfield. You've got a fullback. Motion him wide. You've got four receivers with A.J. Dillon ready to take advantage of perhaps a light box there. You can do a lot of interesting things just by having big athletic people on the field. And I think that is what the the real strength of this Packers draft is. You're getting big athletes or maybe just an athlete in Jaden Reed, guys that you can move around a little bit. The the drawback to how the Packers built their receiver room post-Devontae Adams was that you, you got a bunch of big guys and really only one fast guy. And the fast guy, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, had some other deficiencies he had to make up for, though he was surely enthusiastic as a run blocker. He was not the most consistent receiver, but there were a lot of things that you had to to make up for with a lot of the receiving room. Alan Lazard didn't necessarily offer a lot of speed. Marquez Valdez-Scantling wasn't the most consistent wide receiver uh, and you know gave, you so, gave up some stuff in terms of the size just by being a little bit on the lighter side. Uh, Randall Cobb, while a great friend to Aaron Rodgers and consistent in his own way, was not the athlete he was early in his career. By just having athletes on the field, you can create a lot of interesting matchup problems for opposing offenses just by the groupings of guys that you put out on the field. And I think that's something that we've been missing from the Packers offense for a while now. They didn't have a lot of, we had a question a couple weeks back, they didn't have a lot of field tilters. Who are the field tilters that they had other than Devontae Adams? And Devontae Adams was more of a skill guy than an overwhelming athleticism guy. Now the Packers are in a situation with Christian Watson, with Musgrave, with Kraft, where they can just win some physical matchups in ways that they haven't been able to for a few years now. And I think that's an interesting situation to be in. I have one question for you before we head into our final segment here. Looking at doing something, and this is something you can help me with, Uh, On the injury side of things, if you are, say, like an orthopedic surgeon or sports science, sports medicine type person, get in touch. Uh, Drop us an email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. I've got some stuff I want to run by you. Uh, May have a podcast guest spot in the works for you. It may be a recurring type thing, but I want to do some more stuff on the show related to sports medicine, injuries, recovery process, some inside information on how how all that works. Because I can do research on this stuff. I can read the scholarly papers. I can go in depth on that kind of stuff. But I don't have firsthand knowledge on what it's like to help people rehabilitate from injuries or what these injuries actually look like inside your body and, and how these systems work together. I want to hear from somebody with that kind of expertise. So if you are that kind of person, please drop us a line, get in touch, help us 
help other Packers fans learn more about this very important aspect of the game. All right, to close today, I want to start a new kind of segment for the remainder of this offseason. We're going to work through a few different parts of the roster, a few different areas, a few different maybe schematic or coaching-related things, and just ask three questions about them. So the first one on my mind is the offensive line. I've got three questions I'd like to ask right now about the offensive line. The first one is how real is this center competition that seems to be lining up? I think we all understand that Josh Myers did not have a great 2022 season. That seems to be well understood now. And the Packers have, at a couple times, either via Brian Gutekunst or Matt LaFleur or offensive line coaches or Adam Stenovich, said things along the lines of, hinting that there may be some competition available at center. Zach Tom has been mentioned as a potential contender there. Sean Ryan came up today as somebody who's going to get some reps at center too. And the Packers uh, said that new offensive lineman claimed on waivers, DJ Scaife, is also going to be a center this year too. That's where they like him to work. They would like him to work at center. How real is that competition, though? Are we looking for a backup center, which is fair because the Packers don't necessarily seem to have one now outside of Jake Hansen, which, you know, maybe he should be in the conversation as far as a, a center contender there, too. I think we've seen quite enough of Jake Hansen, but I think he at least deserves a mention given how much he played the spot in college. And he played a lot and was a very successful college center. So how real is this competition? What sort of competition are the Packers really looking for at center right now? We don't necessarily have an answer, but the question I think is an important one to ask. Second big question here is who is going to emerge at tackle? I think that the people who really wanted the Packers to take a tackle in the first round this year were onto something. Because while the Packers may not have a clear need at tackle this year, there's a very real possibility that we're sitting here next year at this very time looking at two new starting tackles, one on either side. David Bakhtiari's contract situation is makes it difficult to envision a scenario where he's on the Packers in 2024. Strange things have happened. We played that game for a long time with Aaron Jones, and look who's still here. So I I don't want to get too far ahead of things there. But as things stand right now, unless something changes, it's difficult to envision a scenario where where David Bakhtiari is a part of the Packers for 2024. Yash Nyman is in a similar boat. He he was a restricted free agent this offseason. He signed the tender the Packers gave him, but that sets him up for unrestricted free agency next year. And given what the market generally looks like for tackles who have started games in the NFL... And if you're a six foot eight, very athletic tackle who has started games in the NFL and you're hitting unrestricted free agency, let's just say your bank account is going to look pretty pretty healthy at some point in April of 2024. Yash Nyman is probably not going to get like top five tackle money in the NFL, but he stands to be a quite wealthy man. And good for him. He's come a long way. But that means that, that the Packers should probably have somebody in the pipeline to take over as their starting left and or right tackle. So who is that going to be? Are we still in the of the mindset that Elton Jenkins is going to be one of the Packers' two starting tackles 
in 2024. Perhaps that's a possibility. It's not necessarily a bad one. He played there at a very high level in 2021 before he himself tore his ACL. Maybe it's somebody else. But who is it going to be? Rashid Walker? Luke Tenuta? Caleb Jones? These are all possibilities. The Packers seem to like those guys a lot. Kadeem Telford is a new contender this year, an undrafted free agent. But I think you'll notice among those guys, there aren't a ton of really like blue chip prospect. There aren't a, guy, a lot of guys that are terribly high regarded in NFL or even Packers circles. I think there are things to like about Tenuta, about Walker, about Jones, uh, about Telford, but they need some seasoning and they need to show that they can even be really NFL linemen because they haven't gotten a whole ton of experience so far. I think Luke Tenuta of those guys is the only guy who's played any significant amount of snaps in the NFL. Jones was on, you know, buried on the roster or on the non-football injury list all last year. Rashid Walker, in a similar sort of situation, just didn't get any playing time at all. Telford, a rookie this year, and Tenuta, like we said, did get a, a little bit of playing time, but not much. You do have the potential that Zach Tom could be an option at tackle going forward, but I really think his future is on the interior offensive line, and I think center is probably where he's going to end up long-term. Just looking at the body type, looking at his skills, it seems like that is where he could really thrive. You could probably get by with him at tackle, but is that the best situation for him to be in? So who is going to emerge? Maybe the answer is nobody. That kind of puts you in a tough situation heading into the 2024 offseason, but that's the way it goes sometimes. You can't get every position all the time, but it's a question worth monitoring, I think, right now. Thirdly, A player-specific question, what does Elton Jenkins look like in year two post-ACL? I was looking at his pro football focus grades today. Seven of his eight best-graded games, in terms of pass blocking, came in week nine or later. I think week three was the only one. Week three or four was the only one off the top of my head in his top eight from last year, really top half of his games, that was in the first half of the season. He got much better as the year went on and as the Packers switched him back to back to guard too. But incidentally, his some of his run blocking games were basically completely flipped. Uh, some of his best run blocking work was early in the season, while some of his worst run blocking stuff was in the second half of the season. Just a curiosity there. And don't want to put too much weight on the grades because it's just, you know, kind of a black box metric, but I think it is an interesting data point that he got better down the stretch, and it does seem to jive with what we saw on the field, too. He seemed better and more comfortable once he got slotted in at left guard, once David Bakhtiari's situation stabilized a little bit. He did seem much better down the stretch. So how does he look this year? Got a big new contract. He seems to be penciled in as a left guard for the foreseeable future, at least for this season. How does he look? Because that would be a a big blessing for Jordan Love. If David Bakhtiari has put his knee stuff behind him, which is a big if, I wouldn't be surprised if it still slowed him at times this year, but he did seem solid down the stretch until his appendix decided to rebel against him. Elton Jenkins, having him settle down the left of the left side, or the rest of the left side, that answers a lot of questions for you there. You probably really only have to solve one more spot to have an offensive line that you can really work with. Because you can account for one weak offensive lineman. Accounting for two, that gets a little bit more tricky. 
But if you've got Bakhtiari and Jenkins holding down the left side, if you've got John Runyon hopefully stabilizing the right side at right guard, if either Yash Nyman at right tackle or Josh Myers at center figures it out and has a relatively good 2023, you've got the makings of a pretty solid offensive line, and you can probably work with things beyond that. If Elton Jenkins is 2021 Jenkins pre-ACL surgery in 2023, whatever year we're in now, that's a pretty good place for the Packers to be. That's part of the reason why I'm wondering or would like to talk to somebody who knows a little bit more about injury recoveries than I do, because I want to hear about whether it's really true that it takes a full year and then some to get back to where you were pre-knee injury. That seems to be taken as conventional wisdom. I want to know if it's true. And if, if that is true, how does it factor into what we see from Elton Jenkins this year? I know this is asking just a lot of questions. But I think asking the questions is important, and it's just as important as having the answers. If you're willing to go out in public and just say, hey, what's going on here? What's going to happen? That, I think, can move the the conversation here forward as much as having the answers. And there's so many of these things where we're not going to have answers until like week 10 of the season anyway. So you might as well start asking the questions now. How is this stuff going to shake out? Getting those gears turning in your head is an important part of trying to be a a better educated football fan because you're just thinking about the game differently if you start asking the questions before you get to week one in the season and be like, wait a second, we haven't gotten this offensive line figured out or we have no tackle depth or whatever. I guess that's what I'm trying to accomplish here. And maybe it'll result in some interesting answers. Maybe we'll look back six, eight months from now and go, a silly thing to even ask about. Of course, Elton Jenkins is going to be great. Of course, their tackle situation is is ironclad. Adam Stenovich out there coaching him up. We've got like six great tackles, probably four of them going to the Hall of Fame now. It's going to be great. We were silly to even worry about it. But asking the questions now is important and I think interesting too. In any case, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think is going to enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.